know it's all in Him. Amen. The mighty God is Jesus. Amen. We are going to allow our children uh, to go to King's Kids tonight. So we're letting them have a, a special night of uh, just an unexpected King's Kids. That's all. I don't know what to say. That's it. We are, uh, we are going to be talking about habit number seven tonight. And uh, I want to uh, just say before we get started, um, this is a, uh, it's, it's a, it's really good. I mean, it's necessary. It's needed. Uh, but it is not always the easiest thing to talk about or some of the easiest things to talk about. So um, that's one of the reasons why we're letting the kids go out tonight. Uh, that way, you know, it, it, sometimes it gets a little awkward, you know, and uh, I don't want to get too awkward with kids in here. So um, it's Bible, it's, it's biblical principles. However, I try to keep it G-rated, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. We're going to have a good time tonight, and uh, there are handouts, and uh, you can get a handout tonight, and we will uh, jump right in and get started. Uh, let's just, before we get started, if you don't have a handout and you want one, uh, I think Brother Dumb is handing them out right now if you don't have it, uh, but if you would like one, just let him know, but before we get started, let's just pray. Uh, let's pray that God will help us, that he will speak to us through his word, and that we would receive it. And that I wouldn't say stuff that I shouldn't say and all that good stuff, you know, because the spirit of the prophet, the scripture says it's subject to the prophet. And uh, so I need to do a good job tonight. All right. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for uh, the 10 uh, commandments that you gave us, Lord, that apply to our lives today. And we pray, God, that you would help us, help our hearts and our minds to be open and receptive to what you want to speak into our lives tonight. And God, I pray that you would help us to receive. And Lord, that uh, you would help me to say the right things and not say the wrong things. And God, that we would uh, get a lot out of this teaching tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to talk about the seventh commandment or the seventh habit for our study, and this is to protect your marriage. And uh, I'm on the clock, so make sure that I get done in, in a timely fashion tonight. Uh, but I do want to say um, this is a very important topic. As a matter of fact, it's so important, and it's actually, uh, it's probably more important than we realize. And it's one of those topics that it makes people uncomfortable, so if I didn't have to talk about it, I probably wouldn't, okay? Uh, but it's one of those things where I feel like the scripture talks a lot about it, so I cannot stay silent, and I, I've got to say some of the things that need to be said. And so with that in mind, let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. And it's just one simple line. It says, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery, right? So that seems like a very simple command. Uh, but if you were driving on a busy highway and you saw an off-ramp sign that said, do not enter, would you resent it or would you appreciate it? And that is one of those signs that's trying to keep us from danger. It's a negative command, you know, do not commit adultery, right? But it's got a positive result. And sometimes the do not enter sign keeps us from going places. Anybody, anybody ever braved off into a, a road that said closed or do not enter? Anybody ever done that and, and probably wished you hadn't? We sometimes, because we're human, sometimes we have to learn the hard way, but that's how it is with the Ten Commandments. They're not given to us to produce pain, but they're to provide protection. And uh, so when you play by God's rules, you'll always win in the end. Uh, I want to just focus on this, that nothing tonight, and you've got to hear me, nothing destroys a family faster than adultery. There's no question that our culture glamorizes defends, and even promotes adultery. 
if you go to the store and you look, and, and, and I don't know how these magazines are still in print, but there's so many magazines geared uh, towards women, and, and especially uh, women, that they, they practically recommend adultery to their readers as a fun and healthy activity. Uh, Katie Royf in the New York Times Magazine said, an affair can be a sexual recharging, an escape from a worn-out relationship, a way into something better. Uh, and another L magazine, women's magazines practically recommend adultery to their readers, and, and they're just, you know, showing this stuff. And uh, women's marriages are, are improved, Harper's Bazaar said, by their affairs because they get their fill of rapture elsewhere. And that's what our society, that's what our culture is marketing. And while we try to do our best as Christians to lead a decent and restrained life, almost all media out there totally propagates the notion that everybody else is having a wild, shameless time and we must be missing out. And the true power of mass media is that it redefines what is normal. Has anybody ever heard somebody say, well, that's just the new normal? And I know we are living in very, what the Bible calls perilous times. We're living in very wicked times. Uh, but we have to be very careful that we don't allow society and culture to redefine what is normal for us as children of God. And so the harmful behavior that we see glamorized not only conveys powerful messages of what's accepted, but now of what's expected. And the unreal world of the media becomes over time a self-fulfilling prophecy. Every year on Prime TV, there are 65,000 or more sexual references. Seven out of eight of the sexual encounters in TV dramas involve extramarital relations. Is that reality? A 1994 University of Chicago study uh, said that both sexual satisfaction and frequency is greater among married people. So then why is Hollywood, uh, why is it that when you, when you see things that are produced by Hollywood, the only kind of uh, closeness and intimacy that seems to be bad or awkward is that closeness and intimacy between a husband and wife. In fact, that's mocked, that's made fun of, like it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's weird or awkward. Due to the increasingly permissive views towards uh, sex today, over 40% of married women and nearly 50% of married men have had an extramarital affair, according to researchers Gilbert Nass and Roger Libby. And this has a direct effect on our teenagers who are not finding an example of faithfulness to follow. One out of five North American children have lost their virginity by the age of 13. And these statistics are only slightly lower in the church world. Christianity Today found that 23% of its subscribers have committed adultery and 45% have acted inappropriately towards someone of the opposite gender. But the problem is the glamour of Hollywood portrays adultery and, and it being so great, and that's a blatant lie. That's why the scripture is very clear and this command is still so very important for us today. Do not commit adultery. According to McKinley Irvin Family Law, many other articles that support the same ideas. I, I, I want to just, I hope that you'll grab onto this today. I know that this is going to be, some of you are going to be like, really? Why do we have to even go there? Social media has changed the way that we meet and interact with each other. It provides a platform to learn more about people that you associate with. And this can be a problem when it comes to romantic relationships. Research shows that increased usage of social media may lead to marital problems, infidelity, and divorce. One in three divorces now start in online affairs. Social media ruins relationships. This is uh, from a, a, an article, and I, I would really strongly suggest you, you look this article up. I'll be glad to share it with you. It's called, We're Entering a New Era of Infidelity. Social media is to blame. Uh, and then the article is by Adam Bulger, and it was uh, put out on January 17th of this year. But it's the, the premise is that extended time on social media makes it easier to escape the lives uh, of, of others and find solace in former flames. 
I want to just kind of share a little bit. I don't want to, I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but I do want you to kind of get a flavor of this. It says, social media ruins relationships, lighting up the dark end of the street. In James Carr's classic 1967 Ode to Cheating, illicit lovers meet in the shadows to hide their wrong. Modern cheaters, or those considering cheating, keeping, or, or just keeping back burners, don't need to skulk. With Facebook, Snapchat, and other social media, they can carry on affairs from the comfort of their couch, illuminated by the light of their computer or a smartphone screen. Facebook plays a central role in modern infidelity. The average user spends 50 minutes a day on Facebook, more time than they do any other leisure activity except for watching TV or movies. Extreme amounts of usage have been shown to skew perceptions of reality and enable furtive communications. Moreover, Facebook encourages the cultivation of back burners. These are people who are prospective uh, people who are uh, prospective cheaters are sizing these people up for future affairs. The proof is in the divorce proceedings. In 2014, a British study revealed that the social media giant Facebook was cited in a third of the UK separation cases. Of course, you know, and, and you can say, well, you know, that's not me. That's not really a big deal. It starts out very innocently. You, you can, you know, you, you have probably seen this happen. And sometimes you've probably seen somebody post a picture, somebody that you know post a picture, and somebody else comments on, on it, and you're looking at the post, and you're like, why did they comment like that? Why did they put those emojis on it? What, what are they trying to say? Aren't, aren't they committed? Aren't they in a committed relationship? So... The proof that we, we have Facebook and, and you know, sometimes when, when this happens, it, you know, it's like, well, it's just innocent. Well, sometimes a smirk emoji is just a smirk emoji, but sometimes it can be a smirking gun. You'll get it in a minute. Photo reactions, comments, and emoji usage allow people to gradually lure in potential future romantic partners. It's a low-commitment communication signaling that while someone isn't interested in doing anything drastic anytime soon, they want to keep their options open. It's the phenomenon researchers have termed backburners. Backburners are the people that you're attracted to, that you keep in touch with, just in case your current relationship situation either fails or changes, says Dr. Jason Dibble. Or to stick with the fire imagery, there are embers of the attraction between you two, but you don't want to flame it into a, uh, in, on, into a primary relationship, he says. So this is the kind of world that we live in. This is the kind of society that we, uh, I, I have seen uh, so many times where people are on social media and doing things that they would not do in person, saying things that they would not say in person. Uh, being connected to. Did you know that some couples that are uh, that that meet online now? I told you one in every three affairs now starts online, or one in every three divorces, separations. Did you know that a lot of those couples they're saying when they get remarried, they have social media prenups. <laughs> they have rules before they can before they get married to the person, and and some of them they should have had probably with their first. Adultery causes pain. Everybody loses in adultery. Everyone is scarred, and it's really the supreme act of selfishness. Adultery not only violates your marriage vows, it violates another person. It violates your spouse. The English word for adultery comes from the same root word as, uh, as the word adulterate, which means to contaminate or make impure. The Hebrew phrase is lonath which also means no apostatizing, or no apostatizing. And this apostatize means to abandon one's principles or promises. And so you think about uh, maybe things that you've known before where somebody has fallen into or committed the act of adultery and what it does to their family, what it does not just to that person and your views of that person, but what it does to your views of their spouse as well. Colossians 3, 5, it says, don't be controlled by your body. Kill every desire for the wrong kind of sex. Don't be immoral or indecent or have evil thoughts. 
Many people attempt to validate adultery with the belief that it's permissible for a higher cause. People have countless rationales for setting aside the moral implications of their actions, such as, well, I love my wife and, and children. I don't want a divorce, so it's better that I have an affair for the sake of my family. Right? How twisted. Or my husband's not fulfilling me sexually, so it's okay for me to find sexual satisfaction instead of divorcing my husband and making a big mess. No, you're making a big mess. I think my husband is being unfaithful, so there's nothing with wrong, wrong with me having an affair. Or I've heard people say, I wasn't looking for an affair. It just kind of happened. Uh, in the article that I read, and I shared part of it with you, uh, the guy says, I, it started out by me posting happy birthday to a former co-worker. That's pretty, pretty unsettling, if you ask me. It almost, I, I, after I read it, I was like, maybe I should just get off social media altogether. That's kind of how I was feeling earlier. I thought, man, I definitely don't want to do anything or say anything that could be misconstrued. And then I've heard people say, well, we're just soulmates. Now, I married this guy or I married this lady, and we didn't really know each other that well, but, but I found my soulmate now. Okay? Uh, I have needs my spouse can't fulfill. I thought I was in love when I married, but this is the, really, this is the real thing now. Uh, I've been under a lot of stress. Or, you know, me and my wife aren't getting along, but she really understands me. Yeah, well, no matter how you want to phrase it, adultery is sin. It eventually will catch up with you, and it will destroy your life, and it will destroy your home. But most of all, it's a sin that will take your soul to hell. Today, I want to talk about how to prevent affairs and protect your marriage. Um, again, it's not the most comfortable topic for me to talk about. As you can tell, I think some other people got the message, what I was talking about, and they, they didn't show up tonight. Uh, but they can watch the video later. Um, I just want to encourage you, uh, this is what the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 4, New Living Translation, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Uh, there is so much in the Bible about how to be a good spouse and that you should not ever commit adultery. So how, can, how, how is this possible? And some of you are thinking, well, it's too late. My situation, you don't understand. Uh, just stick with me, okay? I want to talk about how you can affair-proof your marriage. First of all, the first thing you've got to do is you have to make a commitment. And some of you are thinking, I made a commitment when I got married. No, you need to make a commitment that you will, there will be uh, no affairs. You just won't do it, okay? Psalm 119 and verse uh, nine, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word and following its rules? How do you do this? You know, a lot of people are surprised to find out that God is not against sex. A lot of people, they, they don't understand that. Uh, God is, I mean, he created it, right? He, he made it, and like everything else, if God can create it, man can distort it. And that's the danger in it, is that all of God's gifts have limitations on them, and they have to be controlled rather than abused. For example, you know, you can live without water, but, you know, uh, you, you can't live without water, but if you get too much water, it's going to drown you. And, you know, a fire, it, it can either warm you or it can burn you. It's just how you handle it. And so this is uh, one of those topics that God gave us a world filled with beauty. And in many cases, man has basically stripped the natural resources, and God gives us an appetite for food, right? But in many cases, we abuse it, and we suffer obesity as a result. God also gave us an appetite for sex. I know that's not, you know, what you want to hear in church. It's not what I want to be saying in church, but here's the deal. I talked to somebody the other day, and this is what they said to me. They're not in church. And they said, you know what? The one thing that churches never talk about is sex. They said, you know what everybody in the world wants to talk about? Sex. So got me thinking. If the church isn't talking about it, and the Bible does, why doesn't the church ever say anything about it? 
Because it doesn't have to be dirty. It doesn't have to be perverted. It doesn't have to be weird and twisted. And so we've got to understand that within the bounds that God has intended for it, for our lives, it is beautiful. It is fantastic. And it is supposed to be uh, a part of our married lives. And so uh, without this God-given gift, um, it is detrimental to you spiritually. You will have trouble spiritually, you will have trouble emotionally, and you can even have trouble physically. In our society that is saturated by the wrong kind of sex, you don't stand much a chance of remaining pure unless you make a commitment. That's what this first one is. Make a commitment that you are going to live by God's guidelines on this. You're going to stick with what the Bible says. Regardless of your failures in the past, you need to make a commitment. From today on, I'm going to live by God's standards. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do things the way that society says. And so the, the basic standard, and this is what you're going to find all through the Bible. Here's the biblical principle. Sex is for marriage only, not outside of marriage and not before marriage. If you're not already married, you need to decide right now that you'll only marry another Christian. Well, why is that so important? Well, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? That is God's standard for marriage, that you be connected, that you be yoked, that you be bound together with somebody who is going in the same direction spiritually as you are. And that's not, you know, that's not a popular stance. And there's a lot of people that they're, they're going to they'll waffle around about it. I, I, I won't. I just can't. I don't feel like it's right for the church to condone uh, people that are not saved being married to people that are saved. We, we need to say, look, hey, if you're going to get married, both of you need to be saved. And, uh, you know, that, again, I know it's not popular, and some of you say, well, what do you do if, you know, I'm, I'm in the church now, but my spouse isn't. You can't do anything about that now. But had you had a chance to make that choice before you got married, you would have been in a much better position. And so if you're married, decide right now, adultery will never be an option. I'm going to be married. I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, stay faithful to the, to the one that God has uh, given me and that I have made a commitment to. It doesn't matter what my spouse does, what, what needs they meet, what needs they don't meet, or what happens in my marriage, I will be faithful because it's God's command. Not because it feels good all the time, not because it uh, suits me, but it's, it's what God said. Be faithful. And, and this is the scripture. How can a young person, how can you stay pure? By obeying his word. Proverbs 5.15, be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. So number one, make a commitment. From this day forward, there's only one, the one that you're married to. Okay, number two, magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences. You need to regularly remind yourself uh, of the destruction that's caused by this kind of sin. A lot of people, what I have noticed is that when, when I have seen friends and, and others that have fallen into this uh, mess of sexual sin outside of marriage, nine times out of ten what happens is they get in this, this very selfish bubble and they can't see anything past their own nose. And so you have to remind people of consequences. Sexual sin leaves permanent scars. You might be in a difficult marriage, and you may say, well, I'm just not really being satisfied, and maybe you've been struggling, maybe you've been looking around, but remember that no matter how high the cost of restoring and maintaining your marriage, the cost of adultery is always higher. It's always higher. And so here's six good reasons not to commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, you do incredible damage to your spouse, and you don't know that if a man, and don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united into one. 
You do incredible damage to yourself, Proverbs 6.32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys his own soul. See, you do incredible damage to your children, Exodus 34.7b uh, in the New Living Translation, even so I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. D, you do incredible damage to the church, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Uh, B, in the New Living Translation, you, don't you realize that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning soon, all will be affected. E, you do incredible damage to your witness, 2 Samuel 12, 14, New Living Translation, but you have given the enemies of the Lord great opportunity to despise and blaspheme him. And F, you sin against the Lord, Genesis 39, 9. Be in the New Living Translation, Joseph said, how could I ever do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. So six reasons, six reasons why we should not commit adultery and why the damage is so bad. Number three, so we make a commitment, okay? And then we magnify the consequences. And number three, we want to maximize our marriage. Okay, maximize your marriage. A growing relationship with your spouse will reduce the pull and the attraction of adultery. Uh, this, again, you know, some of you know this, but maybe you've never heard this, so I share it for you. The phrase, he knew his wife, is a biblical euphemism for sexual intercourse in Genesis 4.1. Uh, similar concept is found in the phrase, one flesh, Matthew 19.6. But for this to be all God intended it to be, it must occur in a marriage relationship that's based on mutual devotion, respect, and communication that has absolute loyalty in that relationship. 1 Corinthians 7.3, it says a man should fulfill his duty as a husband and a wife should fulfill her duty as a wife and each should satisfy the other's needs. And some of you, you didn't even realize that was in the Bible. Dr. Willard Harley, a marriage counselor from Minnesota, wrote a, wrote a, a pretty good book called His Needs, Her Needs. Anybody ever heard of that book or read that book? Uh, it's not my only book that I recommend to people, uh, but it is one of the books that I recommend to people. Another one is uh, Love and Respect. Uh, that is another great book if you're wanting to uh, grow. Uh, those are two great books, His Needs, Her Needs, and Love and Respect. I, I, I recommend both of those. But throughout the years of Dr. Harley's practice, uh, he interviewed thousands of couples and arrived at the top five needs of men and women in a marriage relationship. Now, again, I didn't make these up. These are not mine. Uh, my wife and I did not talk about these, and, and we just put them on the you know, notes tonight. These are from Dr. Harley. This is from his thousands of couples that he interviewed. You may agree. You may disagree. But this is what he says, the five needs of men and the five needs of women. So the five needs of men, number one, sexual fulfillment. Number two, recreational companionship. Number three, an attractive spouse. Number four, domestic support. And number five is admiration. For the women, the top five needs of women are affection, number one. Number two is conversation. Number three is honesty and openness. Number four is financial support. And number five is family commitment. Now, I'm going to stay there for just a second. I want you to kind of inspect those lists. Five needs of men and the five needs of women. Did, you, did, did everybody get them or do you need them? All right, let's go. I was going, I was going fast. Look, it's uncomfortable for me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep moving here. Uh, number one is sexual fulfillment. Number two for men, recreational companionship. Number three is an attractive spouse. Number four is domestic support. Number five is admiration. All right, we'll stay there for just a minute and let you, let you get those down. It's a lot of writing. Some of you, your hands are hurting. You're not used to writing this much. If you were texting it in on your phone, it would go much faster. 
or some of you. <laughs> All right, let's go to the women. Their number one need is affection. Second is conversation. Third is honesty and openness. Fourth is financial support. And fifth is family commitment. Now, now that you have those written down, I want you to look. Do you see any similarities between these two lists? No. No, they're, they're not similar at all. I mean, they're not even close. Is it any wonder that we have so much trouble adjusting in marriage? We, we each try to meet the needs that we have in another person, and we end up frustrated and frustrating them because their needs are completely different than our needs. The secret to a great marriage is to try to get serious about learning your spouse's needs and then determine that you're going to meet them to the best of your ability, even if they're not the same as your needs. That just got really deep, didn't it? So, how do we do this? You know, this is, why do, we, why do we even need to fool with it? Well, because marital breakups almost always occur when one or both partners lack the skills or awareness to meet each other's needs. And how is it that needs become so powerful and all-consuming? I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything. You lie. You do. Because whether you want to admit it or not, our needs keep score with relentless precision. <laughs> if you haven't read the book, I, I do encourage you to read the book because His Needs, Her Needs talks about the love bank. This is a very powerful concept because the love bank, uh, each of us have a love bank containing many different accounts, one for each person we know. Each person either makes deposits or withdraws whenever we interact with him or her. Pleasurable interactions cause deposits, and painful interactions cause withdrawals. As life goes on, the accounts in your love bank fluctuate, some of your acquaintances building sizable deposits, some remaining marginally in the black, and some going in the red, the people who cause more pain than pleasure. This accumulation determines our emotional response to everyone we know, and even though we are not actively aware of any of this even happening. And in marriage... There are two love banks, his and hers. Any person uh, that, that says, well, I don't have any needs, you're fooling yourself. You, you can say that all you want, but it's not true. A person's five basic emotional needs are so demanding that if any of them go unmet at home, that spouse becomes vulnerable to the temptation of an affair. That tragic result is almost certain if someone outside the marriage then begins to fulfill the need that's not being met within the marriage. This is, this is, so, this is extremely painful to watch. I've seen this happen in other couples. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be very aware of it. I try to make sure that, you know, this is something that I pay attention to. And the reason that I do that is because I, I, I know that there's danger whenever there's unmet needs in a relationship and then they're being met outside of the relationship. Because of a lack of understanding, many couples unknowingly work at cross purposes trying to fulfill the needs he or she feels and not the need that their mate actually has. For example, um, wives often easily shower their husbands with affection and they appreciate it, and, and they want it so much themselves, and so they, they just shower their husbands with affection sometimes. On the other hand, husbands, oh, here we go. They, let's just be honest. If we're just going to be real, sometimes husbands, they smother their wives with sexual advances because sex is their most pressing need. And each becomes confused. When at best, their mate responds with only mild pleasure, or at worst, becomes irritated. We don't have time to deal with all these needs, <laughs> trust me. But let's, let's just focus on some of the most troublesome one in, in most marriages, the physical relationship. 
the conflict between sex and affection. Uh, this is the conflict that most often leads to an affair. Um, I know that I'm male, and so that gives me a different perspective than many of you. The last time I taught this, several years ago, uh, I've updated it since then, but the last time I taught it, I even had my wife make a video because I just, I did not want it just coming from, solely from one perspective. Uh, one of the things that we have to be aware of, uh, one of the, we, we just don't think alike, okay? We, we just don't, and, and that's, that's probably putting it mildly. Uh, a popular minister asked an audience one time of men what they felt were the three biggest temptations that men face today. And a man in the first row, uh, instantly he called out, sex, sex, sex. And he was just about right. I mean, that is probably the number one pull for men. Um, that's why it seems like, you know, it, it's important that we discuss why it's so important to not take that outside of the marriage relationship. Um, in a recent survey, Christian men were asked to list the sins they struggle with most, and when the results were compiled, this is Christian men, sexual immorality of one type or another represented 62% of all the sins listed of what tempted them the most. The next most frequently named sin only garnered 12%. So for men, the problem of sexual immorality is five times greater than the next biggest sin problem. Blatant sexuality in our media and our culture and social media and the opportunities that are there now that didn't used to be there, it's, it's no wonder why we have a lot of extramarital affairs. The Lord's primary provision for sexual temptations is this, 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that they can give themselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. So, according to that scripture, uh, the scripture teaches us, due to sexual immorality, each person should marry. Because, again, it's not supposed to be outside of the marriage relationship. What would you say is the answer to sexual immorality. And, you know, I know growing up as a teenager in the church, to pray, to use self-control, stick a Bible in between you guys when you go on a date. Uh, you know what God says? God says the answer is get married. I mean, that's what the scripture is, is either, either marry or burn. That's what the scripture says. Sexual immoralities are are simply the multiple ways that you seek to have that drive that God placed in you fulfilled. And when that drive is satisfied, then these immoralities are relieved. And marriage is God's plan to provide for those drives in a way that pleases God. Therefore, he considers marriage to be holy. It's a good thing. It, it's, it's a positive thing. It was supposed to be a positive thing. In New Testament times, uh, marriages would often occur when, when you know, you, ha you have uh, children, young people becoming uh, at the age of puberty. And today, a lot of times people postpone marriage to later in life. And, you know, the more, the more it's postponed, the more temptation that person's probably going to have to face. Uh, am I saying that, you know, everybody should get married at 14 or 12? Or no, I'm not. I'm not saying we go back to that. I'm just saying there's a, lot of, there's a lot of temptations along the way. And this postponement is, is good in some ways, but it's also dangerous, and so it needs to be handled correctly. God does not prefer fornication uh, to getting an education. He, he does not prefer that our children uh, learn the ways of the world. You know, he does not prefer that our children sow their wild oats and all the other euphemisms that are out there. Uh, because of immorality, we should be married and, and faithful to one partner. 
Married partners, B, are to fulfill their sexual desires. Just marriage is not the answer to immorality, but those relations within marriage are the answer. Okay? The Bible teaches that marriage is both a delight and a duty, or it's a moral obligation. i got to be really careful. I do not like saying duty with, you know, this is not something. Did you hear what Pastor said? <laughs> he said it's your duty. <laughs> like, don't be using me. Don't go home and try to pull out stuff and use me. I, I'm not, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, when you first get married, God sovereignly takes something away from you and he gives it as a heavenly wedding present to your spouse and that is the authority that you have over your own body your spouse should not have to beg you for your body that's simply what scripture teaches is that uh, I belong to my spouse my spouse belongs to me and so success in marriage is always the result of following that biblical principle the Bible teaches number one that sex is not dirty or sinful Teaches number two, that it is given for pleasure and not just to produce children. Teaches number three, that it is not to be used as a reward or punishment. And it teaches number four, that it is not an optional part of marriage depending on one's moods or preferences. So the reason that uh, this immorality is so widespread is that God's solution has been so widely abandoned. We just do whatever feels right. Our society has on the way of thinking that their pleasure is the only thing that really matters. So, God commands us to not deprive each other of sex. Imagine this, and I, I know this is, again, guy's perspective, but a, a guy gets home from work and he's like, wow, I'm so hungry. And the wife says, what are you talking about? I made you breakfast and you ate it. Then you went out for lunch and you ate again. Now you want me to make dinner for you? What are you, some kind of glutton? Besides that, you're always thinking of yourself, your hunger, your timetable, you're so selfish. That, that probably wouldn't happen. No one would call your God-given desire for food at mealtime selfish, would they? So then why would we call those desires for sex selfish? Now, again, this is in the proper bounds of marriage. The only reason that there's so much confusion about the, the, the sex drive is not about the food drive is because food... We can, we can fulfill that without anybody else's participation. But the sex drive, on the other hand, requires the active participation of another person every single time. It's to be fulfilled according to God's word. So the food drive is roughly the same for everyone. But the sex drive has been placed into most men at a much higher frequency than women. And that's what I said we don't think alike. The Bible doesn't teach that a married person should... Exercise considerable self-control, deprive yourself frequently, and only have sex as often as your partner feels like it. it it's, not, it's not teaching us to be uh, lords or dictators in our relationships, but it's teaching us to exercise considerable self-fulfillment and not deprive ourselves frequently, only travel sickness or for prayer or, or set aside for time of fasting, but to do this as often as you agree to do it and, and is you know, uh, pleasing to both. But biblically, you know, the scripture says we're only really supposed to deprive each other under four conditions. When you both agree, when it is uh, for a limited time, when you are temporarily devoting yourself to more fully to prayer, or when you agree to come together again soon. So this closeness, this intimacy is supposed to be the norm and never the exception in the marriage. So if you deprive each other, the Bible warns that you're opening yourself up to an attack of Satan, and it's in these areas of our life where we lack self-control. So continued postponement or withholding of these relations places very real and very unnecessary pressure on your mate. So my wife, whenever uh, she made the video for me a while back, she kind of gave this advice, and she said, here's a word to the men. The typical husband doesn't understand his wife's need for affection more than the typical wife understands her husband's deep need for sex. But when it comes to sex and affection, you can't have one without the other. They are mutually exclusive. So affection is the environment and sex is the event. 
I, I've told people before, especially when we do some pre-marriage counseling, this this has to come up at a certain point. It's it's awkward, but it has to come up at a certain point. And I always try to make sure that uh, the men understand this. Don't expect your wife to want to do anything if you never show her any affection. Just it, you, you might as well chalk it up. She is not ever going to feel like loving you if you don't show her attention and affection. That's what she needs. That's her greatest need is for you to show her affection. And if you never show her affection, never tell her you love her, you never hold her hand, you never hug her without intentions of something else, then probably, you know, she probably will be a little bit more hesitant whenever there are certain drives that you want to see fulfilled. Husbands, we've got to meet our spouse's needs for affection as much as we want them to meet our needs. Uh, Mary Alda, the wife of actor Alan Alda, she said this, and I, I was like, wow, that's really smart. She said, it's really easy to leave your spouse. It's not easy to leave your best friend. So what kind of relationship are you building? How do you, how do you build that kind of friendship in your marriage? Time, time, time. Time. It, it's, that's the only way. And you have to spend time together. You have to discuss things together. You have to make sure that you communicate. Uh, so this is a, a good piece of advice. Meet each other's needs in such a way that your spouse would be a fool to ever be interested in somebody else. Keep the grass so green on your side of the fence that the grass on the other side of the fence looks brown by comparison. Treat your spouse in such a way that they feel you know, the, 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 the wife, she needs to feel cherished. She needs to feel loved. She needs to feel uh, important to you. And, you know, husbands, they need attention. They, they need to be uh, admired. They need to be looked up to and respected. And I know that there's a lot of things that we could go into here, and I'm, I'm not trying to uh, cover, you know, everything in one night. But 1 Corinthians 7.3 says, The husband must give his wife what she has the right to expect. And so to the wife, to the husband. So God says it's a mutual thing here. It, it goes both ways. And if you read the book Love and Respect, you'll find out that the, the wife, when she's not loved like she's supposed to be, it's harder for her to respect her husband like she's supposed to. And vice versa. And they, he calls it the crazy cycle. And he says when, when there's not proper love, then there's not proper respect. And then you get on this crazy cycle, and it just gets worse and worse, and it spins out of control. So number four, manage your mind. Manage your mind. People don't just fall into immorality. There's really no such thing as a one-night stand. There's a process. There's a, a whole series of events. Here are four steps, I think, that lead to an affair. A, accepting sinful thoughts in your mind. We have garbage disposals in our our kitchens, and we have garbage disposals in our living rooms. Watch what you watch. B, emotional, non-physical involvement. Unbelievers don't spend a lot of time in emotional, non-physical involvement, but Christians camp out here, and they refuse to deal with reality. I have seen married couples and, and people that literally, like in the world, well, anyways, I'm just gonna just gonna keep it there. But we got to be careful, even in the church. Um, you know, flirting is not okay outside of marriage. If you know you're flirting, you need to stop. You know, uh, men, women, whoever. Um, so C is physical involvement. Once you've crossed the line into physical contact, the pull of sin is horrendous. So don't ever cross the line. D is rationalizing the affair. Human beings are great at convincing themselves that anything is okay due to the circumstances. It's, well, it's a, you know, if you only knew, if you understood, if you were in my position. James 1, 14 and 15, Living Bible, temptation is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterwards to death. Before you did it, you thought about it. And it pulled you away because it was your thoughts, it was your desires. Romans 16, 19, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent and what is evil. So we've got to be very careful. Don't, don't let 
these don't take these steps towards an affair. Number five, maintain proper relationships. Most affairs occur between close personal friends, co-workers, or family members. Since we have to deal with these people every day of our lives, how do you maintain proper relationships? Well, here's a couple uh, points of advice. A, don't listen to a member of the opposite gender tell you about their marriage problems. You just can't do it. Don't go fishing for compliments. Is B, because uh, be, be cautious in the kind of compliments that you give to members of the opposite gender. C, be aware of a sense of electricity between you and a member of the opposite gender. I know some of you are like, Pastor, really? Do you have to? It's just common sense, right? But we don't talk about it. So D is avoid a prolonged stare or a lingering touch which give off a signal of interest. Your flirting should be over outside of marriage. Try flirting with your spouse. See if that doesn't get things fired up for you again. It's much better that way, you know. Spend time. Take time for your spouse. Focus that attention on them. All right, six is, oh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5.3. Among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Number six, minimize the opportunity. Don't place yourself in situations you know you're going to be tempted. Recognize the circumstances that, you know, uh, heighten your interest and uh, weaken your standards and cause you to be uh, stimulated. Don't, don't put yourself in those kind of positions. Don't, don't watch those kind of things. Don't go to those kind of places. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the Living Bible, so be careful if you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. Well, but I've been married so many years, it could never happen to me. Who are you kidding? The Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately weak, and nobody is immune. Most affairs occur between couples that already know each other, so make sure your best friends are as strongly committed to their marriage as you are to yours. If they're not, don't do a whole lot of stuff with them. Don't get too close. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, New Living Translation, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts, corrupts good character. Establish some guidelines for your life. Live by them without exception. And I know some people say, well, that, you know, some, that's going overboard. I'd rather go overboard than to be washed overboard. I thought it was ridiculous how people were making fun of the vice president because he said he would not be in a meeting alone with another woman other than his wife. And they said, you know, just, they just railed on him something fierce for that. And I thought, how ignorant. This guy wants to maintain his, his uh, not just his moral purity, but he wants to main his, maintain his reputation with his wife. He doesn't want there to ever be a chance of anything being said. The scripture, you know, yeah, maybe some things feel like they're a bit overboard, but it's better to go overboard in these areas. It's better to be very careful in these areas. Minimize the opportunities for sin. Malachi 2.15, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with your wife. So let me just close with this, the pathway back to purity. If you've been unfaithful, uh, there is still hope. You can come to Jesus for cleansing, and he will still say, neither do I condemn you, just like he did to the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8, 11. However, he will also say after that, go and sin no more. I can't guarantee you that your spouse will be as forgiving as God, but marriages can be rebuilt, and there are three things that you must do if you want forgiveness. Okay, number one, acknowledge the sin. Stop rationalizing it and call it what it is. It's sin. Make a commitment that you're going to be morally pure starting right now. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge the sin. You can't move forward until you acknowledge that there's an issue. Number two, end the relationship immediately. Don't delay. It's impossible to wean yourself from adultery. Quit cold turkey. Number three, avoid all contact with that person from now on. You cannot be friends after you've been lovers. Do whatever it takes to end that. And during this message, some of you may have thought, well, you know, I thought, you know, some of these things I didn't think were, were bad, but now I, I, can't, I think maybe they're maybe not so harmless after all. Maybe you've been involved in emotional attachment and thought that since there was no uh, sex involved, you know, it, it's okay Maybe you've had the heartbreak of an affair in your marriage, or, or maybe you yourself are struggling with a strong pool of adultery. The, the answer is to acknowledge it and repent. 
The answer is to come back and, and just uh, face it head on. A woman wrote into Dr. Laura Schlesinger's radio program, after 13 years of marriage, my husband's lunches with a woman he met ended him in, up in a hotel room. Only by the grace of God did he come to his senses and not go all the way. I found a card, and after questioning him, he admitted what had been going on and on over the past couple of months, and he ended the affair immediately, and we entered counseling. It's been two years later, and I have to tell all the would-be innocent uh, lunchers out there, not a day has gone by without my paying the price for my husband's selfishness. His ego needed the gratification, and our marriage will never be the same. It saddens me to think I may never trust the man that I, under the covenant of marriage, have nonetheless decided to work this out with for the sake of the children. I hope I will trust him again someday. Our lives will never be the same due to that first so-called innocent little lunch. I would just caution you and very strongly suggest um, that there are no secrets and there are no unknown passcodes or passwords between yourself and your spouse. If, if you are wise, you will set up something that your spouse will always have your current passwords. Make sure that there's, you know, a, a way of accountability to each other. And especially if you know that you're leaning, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're leaning, and, and I'm not trying to encourage, uh, you know, Suspicious minds, right? You know, suspicious minds. Okay, uh, I'm not trying to encourage that. I'm just saying that we need to definitely be very clear with some of these things. Accountability needs to be in, in all of our relationships. And, you know, uh, I, I want it to be that if there's ever, ever anything said, that there was integrity in place enough to stand against what is being said. That's only possible if I listen to my spouse, and that's only possible if you'll listen to your spouse. So that's it. I'm done. That's all. I said it all. No, I didn't say it all, but it's okay. I said enough, right? More than enough. I tried to get somebody else to teach tonight, but it just wasn't happening, so it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but there are, uh, there are not as many divorces or separations going on in, in churches, but almost as many in church as it is out of church. And so the, the sad thing is if we don't talk about it, we can't be aware of it, we can't be proactive about it. So I'm hoping that you won't leave here and use pastor as, you know, beating your spouse over the head. Did you hear what he said tonight? You, you've been doing it all wrong. That's not the point of teaching this. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I, I really do not like to teach it because, you know, it, it's uncomfortable. You know, because I'm married, and it's uncomfortable. I have to get up here and say things that the Bible says, and it's awkward in, in, a, in a mixed company. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, Kathy, you take the ladies and go. Men, you're going to stay here. We're going to get this done. Uh, but I, I've tried to keep it general enough tonight that you will uh, understand the premise of what's being said, the biblical principle of protecting your marriage. And uh, I hope that you will make every effort to do that. All right, let's stand. Please don't go to work tomorrow and say, my pastor was talking about sex in church last night. That would not be, yeah, yeah. then you'll have some people say, I'm, I'm coming to your church. And that would, they, they would be sorely disappointed. So let's uh, pray and let's just ask God to help us, not just us, but those even connected and even in any way slightly connected to our church, that they would uh, understand this teaching and that they would apply it into their marriage relationships. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, uh, for the blessings that you've given us of marriage. Uh, Lord, the wonderful spouses that we have, and God, uh, all the great people that attend this church. And Lord, uh, we, we talk about these biblical principles because they're such an uh, anti-cultural uh, message that's going on in our society today, Lord, and they're, they're coming against everything godly, everything holy. They try to tear down marriage, and so, God, we want to stand for what your word says is holy. 
holy and, and, and right and just and pleasing to you. And God, I pray that you would help each and every married person, Lord, in this place to, to recommit themselves again, Lord, that adultery is not an option and protecting their marriage is of utmost importance. God, not just for them, not just for their spouse, not just for their children, but for the church and for those that are watching in this world, that they would see an example of what we are supposed to be in marriage. And God, uh, for all of these things, we will give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to leave your tithes and your offerings, you can do that today, Sister Allen. All the ladies going to ladies' conference, if you want to uh, come see Sister Allen, she'd like to see you up front before you go. And don't forget, you can